Hello everyone, and welcome to A Hand Up, a Habitat for Humanity of Georgia leadership podcast aimed at adding value and increasing the leadership capacity of Habitat affiliates in the state of Georgia. Today's podcast is a special one. We are honored to have a conversation with Representative Barry Loudermilk. Representative Loudermilk was elected to the U.S. Congress in 2015, and he serves the 11th Congressional District here in the state of Georgia. He has been a steadfast advocate for housing affordability here in our state and was the gentleman who introduced, sponsored, and passed the BUILD Act, which was signed into law in January 2021. We're honored to sit down and talk with Representative Loudermilk and about what housing affordability means to him. Well, good morning, Congressman Loudermilk. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. It's good to be with you. Well, thank you for being here with us today. I know that you're a busy guy, a lot of stuff going on uh, in your world right now. So thank you for taking the time to be with us and, and really for everything that you do for Habitat. You're, you're a big supporter of, of our mission. So on behalf of everybody in the state of Georgia, let me just say first, thank you again. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And more so, I appreciate all that you've done over the many years to, to help Americans, uh, actually live the American dream. And uh, that's having hope, something to look forward to is ever so more important today as it has ever been in, uh, in, in the history of this nation. So we appreciate what you're doing for the people. Uh, I couldn't agree more with you, sir. And I appreciate you saying that. Um, I imagine that a lot of our folks who um, are listening to the podcast, especially if they're based in Georgia, are already familiar with, with who you are. Um, but would you mind just doing us a, a quick favor? Just tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, where you're from, a little about your family, you know, how long you've been in Congress, what you did before Congress. Would you mind just telling us who Representative Barry Loudermilk is? Sure, I'd love to. Um, more so, the story will be who is Barry Loudermilk, because to me, representative is a, is a title that you have temporarily to, to show a service that you're doing. But uh, I'm a Georgia native. Mm-hmm. I was born and raised in Riverdale, which is uh, just south of Atlanta. Um, when I grew up there, uh, Riverdale was a long way from Atlanta at the time. It was just a small little, <laughs> but um, over the years, as Atlanta grew south, um, the Riverdale uh, grew in population, it grew in size. I can still remember when uh, Jesse's Drive-In was the only place you could eat in the city of Riverdale, but then we got a McDonald's and everything seemed to uh, flourish from that point on. Um, graduated from uh, North Clayton High School. And uh, I remember uh, one day, uh, some friends of our, mine, we, uh, the only time I ever cut class in school, and I probably shouldn't admit this, but the only time I ever cut class was when the new Hartsfield-Jackson Airport had opened. And <laughs> the first day they were running the train. Um, and uh, that was an exciting experience that we, uh, we just took a, an afternoon off. I think we actually got an excuse to go, you know, but uh, <clears throat> we uh, went down and jumped on the train to ride it underground. It was pretty exciting. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, grown a lot uh, since that time. After I graduated high school, I went with my father to Alaska to work construction for the summer. And uh, just to make some money oh, wow. back, uh, go to college, I had had some uh, scholarship offers to play football. My plan was to come back and attend college, play college football. 
But uh, while I was working in Alaska, I think it was uh, a, a scheme by my father. Uh, I really learned the value of hard work and earning money because at the time there was a boom going on in Alaska. Uh, in the early 1980s, I was a 17-year-old uh, making uh, probably two to three times as much as I could make in Georgia working on construction. Wow. And uh, there wasn't that many places to spend money on in the pla places I was working. So I ended up uh, <clears throat> saving a lot of money. I learned the value of hard work, took on a couple of extra jobs. But on the weekends, um, I volunteered for a, a, a church ministry at the church I was attending. Uh, we would go into low-income neighborhoods on Saturday and invite families to come to church on Sunday. And we would send a bus in on Sunday. And so uh, then we would pick those, uh, the families, or there was usually children that would come. A lot of times the parents would just send the children, but we'd feed them breakfast, take them to uh, Sunday school class, and then take them back home in the afternoon. And doing that, I met a young lady whose parents had also moved to Alaska to work construction. And uh, long story short, we'll be celebrating our 38th wedding anniversary uh, this, this February. So friends um, oh, wow. changed. I stayed in Alaska for a while, ended up moving to Texas, working construction and uh, joined the Air Force from that point. And so it was 15 years later that I finally came back to Georgia and uh, moved north of Atlanta up in the Cartersville area. And we have uh, been here since. And uh, I have three grown children, uh, four grandchildren. And uh, as, as my parents told me, if I had known how great grandchildren were, I would have had those first. So it's, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we live a, a very, uh, uh, our family is all within the local area. And so we're really blessed in, uh, in that aspect. And then uh, that, uh, as far as uh, Congress, um, I ran for the state house uh, in 2005 uh, got elected and I simply ran because I uh, uh, something my dad told me if there's something in life you don't like you got two choices you can do something to change the situation or just accept uh, the status quo and go on with your life and there were some things happening in the state that I thought we should do different and better and so ran for state house was elected ran for the senate no intention of doing any more was a small business owner had a, a small uh, technology company up in uh, uh, the Cartersville area that we were doing uh, quite well until the recession came. But uh, and then uh, 2014, when uh, my predecessor, Phil Gingry, announced he was running for the Senate, took a lot of prayerful consideration, but felt that that was what our next step in life was to run for Congress. So I took the oath of office in 2015. So um, I've been I'll be closing in on six years in Congress uh, come January. That's fantastic. Um, you know, I don't know what it is about the area of Cartersville. It seems like they produce some really quality people <laughs> because, uh, I, I, I'm sure, you know, Representative Matthew Gamble, um, yeah. he, he, he actually helped us out with some legislation this past year. Um, so I, I, there's, there's something must be in the water there in Cartersville, uh, for producing quality public servants. Well, one of the things about Cartersville and one of the things that attracted us to this area is even though it's in Metro Atlanta and even though it was a growing, uh, community, um, growing population. I moved here in 1995. Um, it was uh, still kept the hometown atmosphere. They were still trying to, to keep that, uh, that hospitality mentality. 
the, the keeping the landmarks, uh, the downtown revitalized, but keeping the, uh, you know, the, the old town feel. Uh, still today, oh. every Saturday in the spring, summer, and fall, there is a farmer's market on the square, and it's one of the largest attended events oh, in, really? in Cartersville every week. But at the same time, we have world-class museums here. We have a lot of industry, a lot of technology. And uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a really great community. And I think keeping that, that small town atmosphere, but in a county of over 100,000 people, um, it just, it, it creates a sense of community. And I think that's, that's one of the strengths. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's so funny. To, and I don't want to go off on a tangent here. I, I, you know, t Tony Ross, you know, talked about, you know, Tony, and of course, Tony, his, his work with us at Habitat, um, he, he, he was kind enough one evening to take me to dinner at table 20 there in downtown Cartersville. And one, what you just described there, that downtown feel like, uh, that sense of community was so present there. And I, I commented on that to Tony. I was like, this really is a, an amazing, amazing city, kind of a, a gem here. Um, you know, north north of Atlanta, like you said, it's, it's in the metro area, but you don't feel that at all, you know. Um, so I can see why you were drawn there, see why you were drawn there for sure. Um, so, you know, back to business, though, would you mind just telling us a little bit? I think a lot of our folks know about the Build Act. We've promoted it quite a bit among our affiliates, but, you know, you are our, our, our champion there in the House for uh, for this act. And can you just tell us a little bit maybe about the work that you did there uh, for, for folks who maybe are not wholly familiar with it? Well, yeah, and this was uh, one of the uh, uh, signature pieces of legislation to our office because of how important it was. And it really bridged uh, two philosophical ideas that drive our office. One is uh, efficiency, um, reducing uh, unneeded regulation uh, in government because that always just adds cost, it adds burden, and it ultimately takes away from the individual and their ability to prosper. And so uh, that's been a real focus is, uh, you know, uh, finding those regulations that don't fit properly um, and working to make whatever element it's regulating more efficient, more simplistic, and less costly. Another aspect of it is empowering communities. Uh, for way too long, uh, our nation has shifted into this looking for Washington to fix all the problems instead of looking locally into the community or looking into the private sector or more importantly into the nonprofit arena, which there's many nonprofits that are out there that can more effectively and efficiently do what government is doing. And this kind of crossed both of those paths after uh, Dodd-Frank um, was passed, there was a lot of regulation that was put or painted with a broad brush across the financial services sector. And one of those was uh, mortgage lending. And to make something that's very complex, very simple, because everything in financial services arena is, is very complicated and complex and has a myriad of uh, acronyms. <clears throat> the Dodd-Frank took um, the several different uh, mortgage disclosures and combined them into one, but it became so complex that you, and complicated, that it really required software to actually fill out the disclosures for these home mortgages. And 
A lot of companies, it was very costly for them to migrate to this new system. It was very complex and complicated. Um, and one of the things we found out from working with, uh, with Habitat was that put an unfair burden on Habitat because while you're issuing mortgages, there's zero interest mortgage. They don't fall in that same category as traditional mortgages. So there is a large portion of these forms that do not apply. And since you're a nonprofit, um, bigger mortgage companies, they have specialists that they hire and they, they, they buy this expensive software to run all these uh, disclosures. And these professionals, they know all the ins and outs of these disclosures. You know, a lot of your offices just have a few people in there and it was, it was really too costly uh, to operate. And so what the Build Act did was it sought an exemption for nonprofits who are in, uh, issuing zero interest mortgages. You have your choice to use the more complex, uh, complicated, but automated system or use one of the previous uh, that best applied and <clears throat> which were things that you were al already doing. So it, it was more of a common sense approach uh, to a problem that inevitably the government created. I love that. I love the, the, the tag right there because the common sense approach, it just seemed to make good sense. And that seems to be kind of a, a hallmark of, of your time there in Congress is, is, is doing the things that make sense, make it easier on people. Um, and, and that kind of, you know, in, as you answer that question, I think it leads very well into the next question I have there, because you mentioned about people looking to Congress to solve their problems. And as you just pointed out, sometimes they might actually make some problems, you know, unwillingly or unintentionally. So if you don't mind me asking, how do you see Congress and their role of supporting organizations such as Habitat, other nonprofits who are out here trying to provide this necessary service of, you know, helping people to purchase a home that maybe can't go through traditional means? Um, where, where do you see Congress's role there? Where do you find that balance of doing the, the common sense approach? Well, usually uh, the way I look at it is a lot of the issues that nonprofits uh, across the board, uh, regardless of the service that they're providing, their biggest inhibiting factor is usually government. Um, and I take the approach of where can we get government out of the way to allow you to do what you do more efficiently, uh, more effectively, less costly, because the less cost it is to you, then the more people you're going to be able to serve. And how can we incentivize uh, nonprofits to branch out and do more, to seek more volunteers, that type of thing. And so what happens in government inevitably is a good idea with good intentions will be put in, but over time that will grow. And uh, the, the, the breadth of the regulation will continue to expand to where it doesn't take very long until the initial idea or the purpose of that uh, policy or regulation has blossomed into something that is extremely restrictive. And so I think uh, when you look at uh, today, just keep in mind when, when our nation was founded, there were four uh, federal felony laws on the book. There was very few regulations out there. Today, the regulations and the US code literally feel, fills a library. It is huge. And so- yeah. I think what we need to do is more focus on how can we reduce the impact of government um, 
especially at the federal level? How do we reduce the impact of government? And then uh, how can we make government more available in the instances that nonprofits do need the government, but at the same time, push more of this responsibility to the state and local communities because they are much better at governing those communities. Even though America is moving into a more homogeneous type communities, um, they're still regional and they still have different uh, needs and different uh, ideas and people are attracted to different communities because of either demographics or geographics, the geographical location. And, you know, so we still have a lot of differences, even economical differences. You look at New York City, the cost of living versus Cartersville, Georgia. Um, I would argue that even though it's a much higher cost of living in New York, there's a much higher quality of living from my perspective in Cartersville, Georgia, because it meets more of the needs and the wants I have. So, um, the more that you allow the, the local governments uh, who are more in touch with the people to have the governing and regulating uh, authority with uh, nonprofits, the more they will work in a partnership than an adversarial relationship. That, that is, I think, a very profound thought that you've just opened there. It, it, the idea of this... <clears throat> this need to do things on the local level and recognizing what you just said is that different individuals have their different needs, right? And their different wants and desires. And that, that really, I think actually gets to the crux of what we do at Habitat is, you know, when we were founded, we recognized that unfortunately not all human beings have the same financial means. We're not all playing with the same deck of cards. Right. And so we, you know, as you well are aware on, you know, so we introduced, this uh, non-traditional mortgage lending model, you know, zero interest mortgage. And, you know, effectively you're just paying for what we have in it. We're not making any kind of, um, you know, real profit that we distribute to shareholders. And so that, that really is uh, integral and, and so relatable to what you just shared there. And, and that brings me to kind of ask you, you know, um, and I don't want to bore you because I'm sure you probably talk about it hundred times a day, you know, we're, we're in very tumultuous times in this country. Um, but, but how do you see us as Habitat, you know, going forward, continuing to be a voice for what you said earlier, the American dream, this idea that um, particularly through home ownership, individuals can build wealth and equity and progress, um, you know, in so many different ways. How do, you, how do you see us being that thought leader and, and moving forward and continuing to to maybe meet people where they are? Well, I think uh, the answer to that is actually embedded in your question, the, the phrase of the American dream. Uh, that continues to be the dream of Americans, uh, is to have a place that they can raise their family, have a home that they can live in. Uh, my daughter and son-in-law have been looking for a home for quite some time, uh, for over a year now. The thing that they have been battling is oh. Uh, not that they can't afford the homes. There's a lot of good priced homes out there. It's just the availability. As soon as a home pops right. in the price range they're looking at, it's immediately sold for more than the asking price, which is an element of a strong economy. Here's the interesting thing. Even though we're in this tumultuous time, the same thing has been taking place throughout the, the COVID crisis. The real estate market really hasn't taken a yep. hit in this area. And so <clears throat> that dream is still 
still alive, but what people need to have is hope. When, when you sit in, especially with uh, people kind of being stuck at home more than often, um, well, I shouldn't say the, the term stuck at home. I think there's an, a, a, a blessing in all of that as well, spending more time with family, but people aren't uh, getting out as much as they were before. Many of them are sitting watching television, watching news. And if that's what you do all day, you're going to think that our nation is on the verge of collapse when the very opposite is true. We are a very strong nation. We went into this with the strongest economy in history. Why? Because of the American people. Um, the government over the past few years has taken the approach of let's lessen, as we did with the Build Act, let's lessen the, uh, the impact federal government is having on the individual. Let's empower the individual by letting them keep more of their paycheck, by reducing regulations on them and the businesses they work in and nonprofits. Let's create an atmosphere that will create a much broader uh, economic uh, potential for everyone in the nation. The Constitution calls that supporting the general welfare. Because during the time of the Constitution, the welfare was considered the economy. They are, let me more specifically say, the opportunity that this nation and freedom gave us. And so that was really the goal of the federal government is to support the general welfare by creating policies or getting rid of government intrusion that gets in the way of the individual being able to live to their fullest potential and achieve their dreams. Of course, there, there's always challenges in life, um, individually and as we're seeing right now nationally, but there is not a challenge that we're facing right now we haven't faced as a nation in the past and have overcome and been stronger. This time that we're in right now it's not, it's not a permanent thing. All we've done is hit the pause button for a little while and we're hitting play already. We need to go from play to fast forward and get, this, get, get things back to normal as soon as we learn how to live with this virus. And I think that's, that's the thing is just learning what is the safety standards that we need? You know, how do you open a workplace safely with COVID? Um, what are the treatments that we need? And hopefully eventually get to a vaccine. And I can see pockets of our nation, especially in Northwest Georgia, have already learned to do that. As, as you mentioned, you came up to Cartersville. Most people that come to Cartersville right now are amazed. It's hard to tell that there was ever a virus here, even though we were the epicenter of the outbreak in Georgia early on. And it's because people are getting back to normal. They're using personal responsibility and they're learning to live their lives in a, in, in, with this virus. But the key element is hope and always being able to provide someone, even if they're going through a difficult time or maybe they themselves um, uh, at this, their point in their life, they don't see that they could ever own that home. You provide that hope and you provide a, an avenue for people to give back to their communities by volunteering with Habitat. Yeah, you know, I love that you've used that word hope so many times because that's one of the critical uh, parts of our mission statement. Because we say that we're at Habitat, we're seeking to put God's love into action by bringing people together to build homes, communities, and hope. And I love gravitating towards that word hope. I'm glad it was the last word we used because it's kind of like the, if you would, the the ultimate goal, right, is to give people hope, to show people, not just our homeowners, but as you said, our volunteers, to show that there is a brighter day ahead that there's greater opportunity ahead and um you know i'm, I'm really encouraged that you see that as 
as part of your role uh, in Congress as well. Um, that, that, that's awesome. I think that's really awesome. Um, so if, if we could kind of maybe switch gears a little bit, um, my question to you now is, since your time there in Congress, you took your oath of office in 2015, so you've now been there for, for five years. What has been the most rewarding part of that experience so far? You know, that's, that's probably one of the most difficult questions to answer because there are so many highlights. Um, so many people focus on the negative aspect of serving in Congress, but um, one of those is the people I get to work with. I have the most incredible staff you could ever imagine. And um, they're regular people from our local communities. We have a few that were not from, from Georgia, but the, have a staff member from South Carolina, um, one from North Carolina. But the, the bulk of our staff in Washington and uh, here in, in the district are, are native Georgians or are from Georgia. And the thing that makes them so unique is their heart for service. And that's what I look for. And that leads into probably the most rewarding aspect of the job isn't the legislation that we pass in Congress or the uh, recently flew on Air Force One. People say that's got to be the, the highlight, you know, being on Air Force One, especially being an Air Force veteran and a pilot, you know, that was incredible. But it's when a, a constituent sends an email saying, thank you for helping me um, get my father a VA appointment that we haven't been able to get over two years. It's that ability to wow. do something that a lot of people don't see that is in a very important role of Congress is being that liaison between the individual and this huge bureaucracy of government in Washington, D.C. that over time, many of these agencies have uh, transitioned into from an agency that was there to help to people the people to an agency that sometimes just see the people as a as a number of nuisance and I hate to say that but that's what happens with a lot of big organizations and so um, I one aspect of it is I feel terrible that an individual who is having an issue with Social Security Administration can't even get anyone on the phone to help them, or if they do, they really don't give them help, but they call us and because it's a, a congressional office, they help immediately. It should be the other way around. It should be that the, the constituent, the individual, the citizen should be able to get these agencies to move mountains and not the, the congressional offices because the only reason we can do that is because we control their budget. So, um, this is, again, it kind of leads into what one of my goals in, in Congress has been and continues to be is to make government more caring, more efficient. Uh, one of the things that we're working on there is a customer service bill because there's no customer service standard uh, common across the agencies. And so just getting the government to realize that these people, you work for them. That's who you work for. You're there to service. But the most rewarding part is when we can actually step in and and help someone and it's it's just you know you can imagine the number of negative phone calls and emails we get on a daily basis but when someone and we get these fairly regularly somebody just sends an email or makes a phone call saying thank you for what you've done we can tell that you really care um that means the most you know that i, I so for the folks listening you know i, I have no idea what your answers to these questions are going to be ahead of time 
But I have to tell you, I'm still encouraged with that answer because to me, what you just said there, well, first of all, I, I want to affirm you have an amazing staff. Um, Colin, Carr, and the rest of your staff have just been amazing. And, and to be frank with you, I'm one of those people who can sometimes gravitate towards the negative side of government. And your staff and your actions, I would say, actually are, are helping to be that balancing act to pull me back to the positive side of it and to see the great things that you can accomplish when you have people who have the mentality you just described, which is, you know, service first. And, um, you know, one of the things I often tell our affiliates when I speak to them, because they'll call me, um, you know, they're kind of my constituents, if you will, right? And, um, you know, they call me maybe with something kind of negative, and they'll say, well, you know, I hate to bother you with that. I just always think to myself, like, you know, you're not bothering me. I work for you. My job is to serve you. That's what we're here to do. Um, and I try to keep that mindset, and I love that that's your mindset as a leader, and that's the mindset that you are looking for and promoting into your people. Um, so that's awesome answer. Awesome answer. And um, now I almost feel silly to ask you the follow-up question, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I always ask the uh, kind of the, the antithesis of that question. It's kind of the, the most disappointing or frustrating part of your role in Congress. Um, you know, and if you want to skip that one so we can keep this thing positive, feel free to do so. No, I think it's important to address those because, um, you know, that's a long list as well. Uh, the disappointing or frustrating aspects, the inefficiency of Congress is, is a frustration. There's an element of the legislative process that our founders intentionally made inefficient. They want it to be very hard for Congress to pass a law because any law was, a, you know, understandably to them, a restriction on some element of freedom. Of course, some of those you want restrictions, you know, it, it sh there should be a restriction on taking somebody's property. Um, <clears throat> so, but they wanted it to because they felt that it would be too easy. Uh, if it was too easy for Congress to pass laws, they would pass way too many. So understand that there's inefficiencies there, but the actual management of way Congress is run on day to day, there's a lot of time wasted. That's a frustration, but probably the most disappointing aspect to me has been the, uh, the divide in Congress that's driven partially by party um, to the point, or it's mostly about partisan politics, but it's to the point where you can no longer have civil discourse and you can disagree on a policy without someone attacking you personally. Um, it, it's to the point now that there's, um, well, I can, I can, it's even gone to the point of physical harm against others. Uh, many know out there, I was really? a member of uh, the congressional baseball team, uh, still am a member. And three years ago, we were having our last practice before the congressional baseball games, Republicans versus Democrats. I'm on the Republican team. And just as we were about to end practice, a gunman, uh, who, a, a man who was crazed by an extreme left-wing ideology, walked up to the field and started shooting, uh, hit uh, three of the team members and, and one Capitol Police officer, uh, shot over a hundred rounds. The shooting lasted for over eight minutes. I had over 20 rounds shot at me during that time. Um, and he was driven by this political ideology to the point that he had such hatred. He even had an assassination list of Republican members of Congress in his pocket. This is, wow. and there was no one on that team that 
had ever done or said anything uh, outside of what would normally be done or said in a normal political debate or discourse in years past. But we've gotten so divided politically in this nation that has made it almost impossible to get anything done. We're in a time period right now where some in the other party are telling me that they are being told that between now and the election to not even associate with people in the other party. Um, that's how divided it's become. And so that's the most disappointing aspect to me is that we're all human beings. We're all made by the same God. We live in the same country. We salute and we pledge the same flag. Uh, we're united by more than the divides us, but that division is what comes to be the focus. And most of it is driven by the next election. And so uh, we have got to figure out a way to overcome that. You know, sir, I, I, I think what you just said there is so powerful um, and so correct in, in so many different respects, because that division that you just described right there really, um, I mean, if we're, we're all to take it and look at it as microcosm in our life, right? Um, if we had a similar level of divisiveness in our families, in our households, um, in our um, relationships with, uh, you know, others, our, our workplaces, um, if we had that level of divisiveness, we would experience complete and utter ruin. Wouldn't you say? I mean, it would be catastrophic. Um, and, and, you know, to overcome that, you know, I would almost kind of put forward that the only way we can overcome that and, you know, and just looking down through history is through leadership and having those people um, at the top, if you will, and even the people at the bottom, because leadership isn't necessarily something hierarchical. Um, leaders who are those people that bring us together, those people who stand above that and stand away from that uh, sort of divisiveness. And it kind of leads me to my next question for you is that, you know, you, you've been a successful leader of business. Uh, you're now in Congress. You're in this leadership role. What, what do you see as the kind of critical skill sets necessary for a leader to be successful, to overcome those things that divide us and to bring us back on mission and ultimately, to your point earlier, provide hope? As far as leadership goes, I think in a position of being a representative of the people, um, upholding the Constitution, all the things that go along with our oath of office, the most critical skill set is to be able to listen more than talk. Um, and that's one thing that a lot of politicians have problems with is uh, being able to listen to all sides, uh, listen to the people you work with, li listen to the people you work for, um, and, and weigh their ideas um, and their needs and their wants. That's really hard to do, especially in a uh, divided country that we live in. And I, actually, I shouldn't say the divided country. When you walk in downtown Cartersville or Marietta or anywhere in the 11th Congressional District, you don't see the political divide. You see neighbors with neighbors, right. communities together, uh, churches, um, civic organizations, all working as one. <clears throat> Mainstream media has worked really hard to divide us. There's political divisions, but you don't see that playing out in most communities in America. <clears throat> That's because when we, when, when a, a individual business goes to do business, they don't care if their customer is Republican or Democrat. 
they don't they don't care what their background is, what the color of their skin is. It's it's communities working together. You know, businesses are there to provide a service and hopefully make a profit so they can hire people and provide other people living. Uh, they don't care about these other things that politicians seem to care a lot about. So being able to listen, also to have apathy, understand that not everyone has the same life experience that you have, has the same background that you have, even if it's in a closer community, like your con congressional district. You look at, at mine, <clears throat> you get up Cartersville and up in Cherokee County, especially Northeast Cherokee County. Um, there are still people that have lived there for, uh, their families have been there for generations. You get down into Cobb County and uh, Fulton County, uh, very few people are native Georgians. They've moved in from different areas. And so you have to be able to be open um, and to understand the background, the, the cultures of, of multiple people. But ultimately, you also have to understand our nation and the founding of our nation. And so I think one of the things that's important for a representative to know is our constitution, know the declaration and, and understand what the core principles of our nation are and you can that that will help you put the guardrails up on what government should do and should not do but i think the biggest thing is um being able to listen that is uh, an excellent excellent answer and what what an amazing skill just <laughs> and and um it almost sounds like a simple one but i imagine it's one you've probably had to cultivate over time Right. I mean, how, how do you see somebody developing that skill to, to listen more than talk? I'm on a personal level, very interested to know because I talk a lot. Yeah, well, I, and I am, too. I'm naturally a talker. And of course, you have to be able to be a talker to get elected to Congress. Right. Um, one thing that's helped <laughs> is, is my wife. Uh, we work and we're not just married for 38 years. We've been in a partnership for 38 years um, in my business. She never was employed by the business, but I was always able to, to bounce things off of her. Um, and she always brings this logical approach to things. Uh, she does work in my office in Washington uh, when we're there. She's got a desk. She volunteers. Oh, wow. we, we don't pay her, um, but she's there. And she brings, uh, and even some of the, the staff will tell you, she'll bring an element of common sense that, uh, that she's able to hold on to when uh, Colin and I and others are caught up in the activities of uh, our, the the details of a piece of legislation and you get narrow focus, she can bring in this broader view of maybe what this looks like back home. Maybe we need to not use so many Washington DC insider words um, in, in this press release about the build act. You need to talk more to the people. And so and she's, she's the one who's always telling me you're, you, you were given to God made you with two ears and one mouth for a purpose is you should listen twice as much as you talk. But also, even as we're discussing ideas in our office, and I have to remind our staff every now and then, look, I will, uh, I will challenge your ideas, and it doesn't mean that I don't like it. Sometimes I'm just going to bring the other side up so that we have uh, a real honest discussion in that. And uh, I encourage our staff to, to, to speak you know, I want them to be honest with me in their thoughts and their ideas and let's have a discussion. And you can only do that, you know, when you you are able to stop giving your opinion and allow yourself to not only listen, but consider other opinions. And uh, it all works out well. And speaking of my wife, I have to give her credit. 
one of the things that we have been working on was what is the title of the build act going to be uh colin and i worked on that we brought our communications team in and lo and behold my wife who was sitting off to the side and just listening to us the whole time never said anything came up with the acronym of build act and so she oh, wow. even shows that so i give her credit for coming up with that name of what build uh actually means oh that's awesome i, I you know I, I don't think i ever asked how you guys came up with that i just i I guess I was one of those people who just assumed that it materialized out of thin air. Um, I, <laughs> so I love that that's how it came about by somebody listening, right? By somebody yes, listening. Right. Um, and so, you know, you kind of answered my next question um, in our uh, previous question a little bit, but, you know, it is so easy for, um, for leaders to maybe get sidetracked, to maybe do a little bit more talking than listening, to maybe get a little derailed off mission, however you might want to say it. How do you as a leader, obviously you've mentioned your wife is a, a big help in that. Uh, how, how do you as a leader maybe help keep yourself on mission, keep on focus, stay focused on hope, stay focused on service? How do you do that? You, you've got to be able to step back. Um, and uh, sometimes you have to force yourself to do that. Probably one of the, the biggest challenges and sidetracks you can get in Washington, D.C. is how busy the schedule is. Uh, I, during a normal course of business, uh, any day in DC, I am rarely in my office. Uh, there's been times when I was serving on three committees, I'm literally running between committees that were uh, going on simultaneously because I was needed there for a quorum, but I needed to, uh, make a vote in another committee. And it's like that all day long. And so I'm rarely in the office. When you're that busy, it's very easy to be caught up in the moment. And there's a lot of excitement in Washington. Uh, of course, you know, when you're in Washington, D.C., everybody calls you congressman. That took me a long time to get used to. I'm walking down the hall and people are hollering congressman, congressman, congressman. I don't turn around. I think they're talking to somebody else. And then somebody says, hey, Barry, <laughs> you get my attention. Um, but when you get back home, and to me, my home is that sanctuary. Um, I'm fortunate that we're only an uh, hour and 20 minute flight between uh, Washington and Atlanta. So I come home on the weekends. Um, and oh, great. here is when we're at home, I'm not just sitting at the house. When we have district work weeks, I just don't sit at the house. I'm out and about. I'm going to be out. I was out yesterday. I was able to get back out, meet with a rotary group. I met with a business association earlier this week. I'll actually be going out and doing ride alongs. Uh, with police departments uh, in the next few weeks. And so these are the things that help you keep, keep things in perspective, but also get you out of that busy mindset um, in Washington. The other, uh, the other aspect of, of how you deal and cope with all this is you've got to have some type of release. Uh, to me, it's physical exercise and woodworking, being able to complete a project because you know, it took us a long, long time to get the Build Act done. No one was opposed to it, but it's just that difficult to get a common sense piece of legislation through two uh, bodies of Congress to get it to the White House. And uh, so it takes a long time. If you ever do uh, get something done, it takes a long time. So it's a while before you get a sense of accomplishment. So finding something that you can use your energy and effort, if you need that sense of accomplishment, whether it is volunteering to uh, help build a home uh, or having a project, um, 
I'll build furniture. I do some uh, things around the house to get that sense of, uh, of accomplishment, but also having a, a physical release. I've got a little gym that I've built in my garage. And so I'll get some, uh, you know, exercise. Um, that's a huge stress relief because if you can't separate yourself from that environment in Washington, DC, it, it can really, really weigh on you. And I think that's what causes a lot of people just to, to burn out. You know, you know, Congressman, and I don't know if I should say Barry. I don't know. That's fine. I want to be respectful. That's what I prefer. Uh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I um, I love to hear you say that. Um, and, and I'll tell you, on a personal level, I, I, I'm relating to you more and more because when I left my previous job of building Habitat Houses locally, um, I still I needed that outlet, that uh, exercise and something to put my mind to. And so I got turned on to woodworking as well. And um, so you're a man after my own heart in that respect. I, I absolutely love to do it. Um, and if you're ever down in Harris County and you got some free time and want to work on a project, please come by because I've got a million of them. I'm sure my wife would love me. I've got some I'm working on now, but it's you know sporadic. Um, I like to, tomorrow oh, probably right. a lot of time, except for it's 100 degrees outside and I don't have an air conditioner in my shop. Uh, you, you know, that's... that's <laughs> Right. Um, and, and people don't realize how how hot it gets in there, right? When you're slinging sawdust around and that's right uh, and stuff. Yeah. So um, that's awesome. I, I love that. That's a hobby of yours. I um, always enjoy talking with other woodworkers. But um, I want to be respectful of your time because I know we're, we're kind of coming close to our close here. You you actually answered um, several of the remaining questions I had. So I'm actually gonna uh, maybe skip down uh, just a little bit. Um, on our, our list of questions here, um, and just ask you this, you know, as far as going forward, I mean, you, you described a lot of things that I, I think you have a, a vision that's rather clear as far as leadership and your role uh, currently now in Congress, and I'm curious to know, just going forward, do you have any sort of um, continued uh, personal, professional goals that maybe you've set for yourself, either as a congressman or just as you know, Barry Loudermilk, a fellow who lives in Cartersville. Do you have anything, uh, you know, maybe come down the pipeline that you're working towards, that you're, you know, pressing on towards? Well, you know, a lot of that is is always uh, dictated by time and the times. Um, you know, short-term goals right now is to get our economy back uh, in rolling again. Not just, you know, what can I contribute in Congress, but what can I do here uh, to to help, um, to help others, um, to get, you know, take advantage of this time that we have right now that we're not in Washington, uh, to, to walk in somebody else's shoes, to understand what can we do once we get to that point, uh, in, in Washington, DC. So we have some legislative goals, some things we wanted to do, but overall, what is really led my life over the past several years was uh, something I wrote in my journal was probably back in 2010. And I was going through a kind of a difficult time in my life trying to, my, our business was suffering because of the uh, economic collapse of 2008. Um, there was a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. And I was uh, praying a lot about, you know, what is it that uh, uh, you know, God wants me to do with my life? And I wrote something in the journal there that I just read uh, recently 
um, because a few years ago I picked it up and read it and I was like, I need to read this regularly. And what I wrote was my goal in life should be, what do I want written on my headstone when I'm laid to rest? Or what would I want my epitaph to say? That really is what's been driving me is, what do I want to be remembered for? And I wrote something down uh, there that was to the extent of, he was a good man who cared about others and spent his life focused on making our communities better. Um, and that was, that's really what drives me. And that also can help you keep your focus. Um, and another aspect of that is to try to extend that life as long as I can, to take care of yourself, to do things, uh, uh, you know, keep your health good, to keep your, ha your family happy. And, um, you know, and what do I want my children to remember me as, as a good father, my wife to remember me as a good husband. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's really what my ultimate goal is. Because regardless of where I go from where, here, whether I stay in Congress for years to come or I, I turn and go a different way, um, Congress was never a goal of mine. Um, politics has never been a goal of mine. It's always been service. It's just something I think God led me into another area that I can, I can serve. And so um, keeping, keeping my head focused on that is we're, we're all here for a, a simple short amount of time as the bible tells us it's just like a vapor in the wind we're here and this just going to be gone um, what is it that you want to be remembered for i don't care about having a, a star on a sidewalk in hollywood but i do care about the legacy i leave to my family and those who did know me uh, that's awesome that's uh inspiring so as we, this will be my final question to you, uh, Barry, is because is, I know you've got a lot going on. want to be respectful of your time. Just a final thing. Um, is there anything else that you might want to share with us? We've covered a lot of ground here today, and, and you've, I think, given me, at least I know, a lot to chew on. Any kind of final thoughts for us? Maybe uh, any upcoming legislation that we should be looking forward to um, or anything that you just feel is relevant uh, for our Habitat family? I think the most relevant thing in our nation right now is the attitude of our nation. I recall what uh, President Roosevelt said in the onset of uh, World War II. My dad, he was a medic in the army in World War II in the European theater. And uh, of course, I grew up uh, learning a lot about the history of our nation because my dad was a historian. Um, but one of the things that President Roosevelt said then that I think is very applicable now is the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Fear is the element that um, can paralyze a person and it can paralyze a nation. We are so inundated with negativity every day from all kinds of sources. Um, and it, it can have an effect on a community and a nation. And we've talked a lot about hope. Um, you've got to be able to look through all the negativity and find what is strong about America. And there has never been in the history of our nation a better nation, a more powerful nation, a more compassionate nation, or a more compassionate people than we are here in the United States of America. When you look at the civil unrest, you have to understand that is a very, very, very small, minute 
uh, portion of our population that is doing that. The overwhelming majority of Americans are those that we describe that live in our communities, that work together, they go to church together, they play together, they live life on this earth for the time that we have predominantly in peace and respecting one another. That is what is, is important about America. In fact, uh, Alexis de Tocqueville uh, wrote in Democracy in America in the 1800s as a Frenchman who came over to look at what this new republic was all about. He ended up writing at one point that the, really the strength of America is the communities and it's the, uh, and the churches. And it's really that we have the freedoms here to do whatever we set our minds to do. That's why uh, America is the, the nation that developed the airplane. That's why there's only one nation's flag on the surface of the moon. It's the United States of America. And it's not because America is powerful, but because America is good and we're still good. And we're still the best and most free nation on earth. Yes, we have our problems, but there's no other nation that's more equipped to deal with those problems when we do one thing. Remember that this is a nation of the people. Everything that we do in government should be about the people and is empowering the people and giving the people the opportunities because when you give people the opportunity, then they will not only grow economically, but they will grow into being better community citizens and uh, giving to one another. And it's just having that hope that look, things are good. We hit the pause button, we didn't hit a stop button, but we're moving forward as a nation. Uh, we, we share more in common than we have differences. And this is a time for the American people to lead Congress and Congress to look at the communities and see that's, that's the way we should be. This is what we expect of you to be community leaders in Washington as well as we're community leaders back home. Sir, that is a powerful thing to hear. I, I love that you just shared that quote, especially from de Tocqueville. And you, I think you've given us something to, to really hang on to there and to look forward and, and ultimately work and aspire towards. So, um, Congressman or, or Athlete Barry, I will yes. just tell you, thank you so much. I, I have really treasured everything that you've shared here today. And I, I can please relate to your team as well, my appreciation for them helping to arrange this and of course for you taking your time to contribute i think this is fantastic well thank you i've enjoyed it and uh, again anything that we can do to help you and your mission don't hesitate to reach out we absolutely will not uh, we know that we have a friend in uh very loudermilk in his office in dc so thank you very much and hope you have a great rest of the weekend all right thank you you as well thank you sir